Hello, listener, and welcome to the Wiggly Podcast number 54. Can you believe it? 54, Rach? No, I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Never thought you'd make it this far. No. <laughs> You've done a few cameos recently, haven't you? I am, yeah. It's a cameo with you today, which is unusual. It, well, yeah, it's nice as well. I must admit, you've got some nice blue eyeliner on as well today. Thanks, Rich. Is that for my Hello. benefit? I, no, I really... It's matching the blue that's on your cast, that's on your arm, <laughs> on, on arm, your broken yeah. arm. So, so there I we sh- are. What I should say to the listener is that we've lost Heather and Phil this week because they've gone across the other side of the pond to look for all things Elvis-like, haven't they? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so things are going great, Guns. And Heather did send us a whole list of stuff to, to talk about today, but I think what we'll do with that is just... Heather, you've just got to learn to let go sometimes. <laughs> So anyway, without further ado, we've got lots of things to talk about, so let's crack on. Right out, go. Well, where's the music, Rich? Of course, yeah. Heather's not here, so of course she's the one who usually plays the music. What do we do, Rach? Um, Well, I can give it a go if you like. Go on, go for it. Ready? Yep. That's it, Rich. That was absolutely brilliant, Rach. <laughs> completely <laughs> inspired. You, you can tinkle on the ivories like no one I've ever heard before. Well. Now, Rach, you've known Heather for a long time, haven't you? I have, yes. I've known Heather all through my school years. Really? Yeah, really? yeah. So yeah. We, we were like sort of best mates when you were, well, were in school? we weren't best mates as such. I always knew of Heather, but she was a couple of years older than me, so of course the big girls never mixed with the younger girls, you know. They right, sort of kept right. themselves to themselves. And, uh, yeah, so yeah. it wasn't actually till you leave school and realise, really, you're all about the same age group and yeah. <laughs> that you mingle together and, and yeah. sort of pally up sort of things. What was she like as a little one then? Wow. As a little one, I suppose, she was as wacky as what she is now. <laughs> she had quite strict parents, and yeah. so they kept her confined in the house or in the gardens. She wasn't allowed out anywhere. Yeah, but occasionally yeah. she would escape and <laughs> do naughty things down the village. and little then her, running yeah, off. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then have to be fetched by her mother or her father and given a good lashing back at the house. <laughs> <laughs> and sent to do the washing or something, which they Poor had a head. ritual of Monday washing and Tuesday baking and things like that in her household. Yeah. <laughs> so, God, heaven forbid anybody thinking yeah. the country life's easy. Yeah, eh? absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so she, I mean, she, where did she get this entrepreneurial spirit from, do you think? Well, it's really, really strange because both her parents are very traditional, old-fashioned folks. And so where it came from, nobody knows because none of the rest of the family appear to be this wacky yeah, <laughs> brothers are characters because, of course, they're quite a bit older than Heather, aren't they? So yes. I wonder if it was like a thing where she had to prove herself and I think you know, so stand up to her big brothers and really sort of achieve something in life. Do you think that's what it? Well, I don't know because her brothers are. She got twin brothers and they're about seventeen years older than Heather, and so maybe she had to fight all her life to work her way up the ladder. Yeah, you know, yeah. to get noticed at the kitchen table. Yeah. So. <laughs> It could have been that, you know. Perhaps they never fed her and she had a fight to get to the top all the time. You could see Heather as like the youngest chick in the nest. Absolutely, yeah. She's just pushing her way through the bigger siblings to try and get at the the meal. Her main aim throughout her life was to escape home. 
Right. You know, because you know, when you get to the age where you want to leave home. And so she got to about 16 after leaving school and just wanted to get away. Fortunately, she could move into her brother's house. And so she did immediately. <laughs> she was gone. She got out through the, the gate of the house and yeah. she was gone. She <laughs> so, was out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. once she got out of the house, that was it. She was total independent and then went way off the rails. Art college, wacky hairdos, wacky clothes. Yeah, she yeah. looked like a boy George with the flowing coat, the colours of the works. Yeah, yeah, slightly shorter version. Absolutely. I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, because we're, we're in the Wiggly Lounge, I can look across at the wall and there's a lovely photograph of Phil and Heather on their wedding day. Yes. And they were, I mean, they were a surprisingly attractive couple, weren't they? Yeah, they were, actually, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think so. There's no um, marks of cow poo or anything no, over no, them. No, Phil, he wasn't covered in cow cake no. that, that particular day. No. But, it, you know, I think Heather, I mean, certainly Heather, she's obviously an attractive woman now, but she, she was really, really pretty in those days. Did she have a bit of a, a following? Were there all sorts of men chasing her around the Preston on wire? Oh, the locals were around, you know, they did their rounds and Heather was one of them too. So uh, <laughs> I've no doubt things happened. <laughs> you, you were telling me the other day about um, Heaven Phil's first date. Yes, Heather did not know what to wear. So, them days, Laura Ashley was all the rage. So off we popped to Laura Ashley and we buy this beautiful top with this great big broad lace collar to it. And you looked at it and thought, oh my God, oh no. no. But then she insisted on wearing it because yeah. she thought that was what you had to wear out yeah. to meet Phil, the new bloke. Elizabethan Hev. Absolutely, it was Elizabethan Hev. But she wore it and obviously it did the trick. Right, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're incredibly happy together now, aren't they? So, uh, yeah. that's, so it must have been good things. I mean, the, the reason this came up in conversation, because the other day you came and freed me from my shackles of, uh, of the house and took me for a pub lunch. And it was the same pub that Phil and Hev had gone on their first date. Too, wasn't it? Yeah, the they, they, well, they thought they, they didn't want to tell anybody that yeah. they were going out on their first date, yeah. so they thought they'd get out the way and go over there, yeah, over your yeah. way, which was out the way. Yeah, but I yeah. think they did actually meet up with a local from Preston on Y <laughs> there, so the news was immediately spread that Hev and Phil had gone out on a first date. So, so that was it. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Well, of course, they're, they're traipsing around uh, North America at the moment, a little Monty. And we've, we've had a bit of a feedback from Heather, haven't we? Well, she, she's enjoying yeah. herself, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. She's absolutely having a great time. They're in a part of the country where Martin Luther King was born. Right. Where Coca-Cola comes from. Right, right. And But their main aim is to get across to Memphis because Monty is absolutely mad dead keen on Elvis. Anything Elvis. Anything like, Elvis. Yeah, so I just yeah. hope they don't bring him back dressed in one of those white outfits. Oh, you know it's going to happen. No, no, please. <laughs> oh, good. It's great they've got away and had a bit of an adventure, really. Really interesting for Monty as well. Good experience for him. Absolutely. He'll love it. Last week, I listened with real interest about the fact that you were talking about pheasant shooting. Yep. It's uh, slightly contentious, isn't it? You know, difficult subject to broach because we, we do have a massive feeling in this country that's blood sports, i.e. pheasant shooting, fox hunting, coursing with hounds, etc., are a little bit uh, passé, to say the least. You know, it's that sort of... It's a sport that could be avoided. And I was interested in the way that everyone was so enthusiastic because it's something that you really enjoy, wasn't it, Rachel? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, as, as Phil said last week, it's part of country life, the yeah. whole picture. It, it, it is. I mean, it's very much part of country life. And there is a distinction between a small pheasant shoot and a large pheasant shoot. Yeah. I've got mixed feelings about pheasant shooting. Um, not necessarily because I think it's, it's particularly cruel because cruel is kind of hard to define anyway. I mean, we can imagine what's cruel 
the actions that we take upon each other, but we have a propensity to sort of humanise creatures. So it's very difficult to, to identify what sort of suffering they're undergoing. I mean, you could say that if you shoot a pheasant out of the sky and it plummets to the earth at a thousand miles an hour and manages to hit the ground, bounce off the ground, get, get some sort of consciousness, gets to its feet, runs off, only to be picked up by a, a rabid spaniel, taken back to, to, to the dog owner and have its neck run. You could say that that was cruel. I mean, <laughs> and, and, you know, in some respects, you, you, you might have a point. However... I would argue that there is little difference between someone going into a, a massive chicken shed and collecting and harvesting all those hens, putting them into a wagon, taking them off to a factory and stringing them up on a conveyor belt where they're systematically electrocuted, plucked, gutted and wrapped in cellophane to be put on a supermarket shelf. Now, you could say that the endorphins that are going to suppress the pain in, you know, in those animals aren't going to be different in that pheasant that's suffering or the, uh, or, the, or the chicken that's suffering. So what's the difference? Now, really, the difference for me is that the way the land is managed to look after pheasants is far more beneficial to a whole range of wildlife than the land that is subjected to intensive chicken production. That would be my argument. Now, you could think, really, I mean, we do have a situation in this country now where it's a bit of a quasi-feudal Victorian anachronism, really, the way the land is, is managed. It's exactly the same in the Scottish Highlands as it is in the English Lowlands, really. We've, we haven't really caught up with the time. Some of the initiatives in the, the ways, the, the holistic approaches that Scandinavia, the countryside in Scandinavia has managed, for instance, we haven't really adopted. And we have these Victorian kitsch activities like vermin control, for instance, which might be important, but... You know, it's peripheral. And again, you know, I can think about our hedge, our hedge row, our hedge rows that Phil and I have, which are great, and I wouldn't want to stop those for the world, but hedge row management is only part of the kind of, is the overall way that we look after our, our land. So I would argue that on balance, having said all that, having all that big diatribe, as Phil calls it, having said all that, I would argue that pheasant shooting on balance is probably a good thing in the English countryside because land is maintained in a sensitive way in order to ensure that good healthy pheasants are raised and then of course you have open rides that sustain all sorts of invertebrate life butterflies bees all sorts of woodcock for instance they love open rides so in many respects the way the land is management for shooting game is very important now yeah, I think everything that you said is absolutely right. There has to be a whole picture to it, not just the fact that these people are going out and blasting presents out of the sky, if you like. Sure. There has to be a whole picture to the scene, you know, before you can judge it. Absolutely. And um, many people haven't got that whole picture. They're just told that people go out and kill pheasants for the fun of it, and it's not that at all. You're completely right, right? Mm. I think it's an interesting... Oh, excellent. Ricky's just come into the room with some lovely pasties. Well, I just wanted to have a final word on the whole shooting thing because it's, great. it's a great opportunity for me to, to uh, gibber on because Heather's not here to cut me short. So, <laughs> so, but one thing that always, always really interests me is that uh, we, we seem to have a situation in this country where people have double standards. You know, it's yeah, slightly right. unfortunate. Big, lots and lots of hypocrisy. And it really, if you think about it, because there is, a, you know, the, again, my favourite expression, attention to detail, if you think about it, there, there, there's a whole wealth of issues here. Who's to say that the person that goes out, big fat cat, Range Rover parks up, gets and gets, goes and gets some sort of thrill out of shooting a pheasant, poor unfortunate bird out of the sky, has very little regard for that bird, apart from the fact that he enjoys watching it plummet to the ground, is any different to somebody 
that's just sat in their living room, as in just eaten a chicken bought from a supermarket that spent a, its whole life waddling around on its hocks in its friend's excrement. It really enjoys their chicken dinner, gets up, lets their cat outside. Now, cats, I've got to think about cats, I should say. But that cat may will go out, wander around outside, and it'll find something furry and cuddly and possibly ecologically important to kill and torment. Now, the cats, of course, aren't indigenous. So who's to say that the person that has very little regard for its external environment in that respect is any different to the person that goes out and consciously shoots an animal. Yeah, you're right, Rich. Yeah. In many ways, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going not, you're on. Not but... get, you're disagree with me at all. <laughs> well, you know, you, yes, you're quite right. You're right in the whole thing. Um, you know, people do have cats. There are lots of cats about, and they do kill a lot of very nice, very important, furry little creatures. What so you're saying is right. It's interesting. I mean, it, I, what I would really like is that, mm. it, that you, listener out there, if you want to engage with me and argue with me, you know, don't think you're going to hurt my feelings or, or any of our feelings. We well, might hurt Rachel's feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you want to, if you want to re- email us, you can email either Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk or Rachel. No, Rach. A Rach. R A C H at wigglywigglers.co.uk. And just let us know what your, what your feelings are. You know, give us, some, give us some input. I don't know what you think about shooting, Ricky. I don't agree with shooting animals, but they want the fur and things like that. And I do not agree with that at all. Yeah. And when people shoot things and have them left and don't eat them, like pheasants and rabbits. You're definitely in the majority. People would, would uh, be able mm. to appreciate that if you're a meat eater, then there's, why shouldn't you be able to go out and shoot something and eat it? But of course you shouldn't really. It's, it's morally wrong to go out and shoot something mm. purely for pleasure, really. You get the other aspect of abroad where they shoot tigers just for the skin, and I think that's dreadful. Yeah. I mean, we're meat eaters, so we're going to carry on eating meat, but killing animals just for their skin is dreadful. We won't go on about this too much longer, but I, uh, just a, a thought that crossed my mind, when you talked about tigers, right? Mm. Likely to be extinct in, in the next 10 mm. years. It's the human race. We are, we are a bit of a plague on the planet, certainly. Tigers will almost certainly disappear, except for a few that are, mm. that are maintained in captivity. However, what is unfortunate, going back to the cat scenario, now, that cat may well have eaten some tuna-based cat food, right? Now, we have a, we have a situation in, across the globe where our marine environment is being depleted to an exorbitant extent, mm. but we don't notice it. We don't notice it. We're not told about it on the news very often, and, and we can't see it. So we don't realise it's going on. Now, in that little tin of cat food, there may well be various different types of tuna, including rare species like big-eye tuna, for instance. Mm -hmm. Now, who's to say those big-eye tuna, which are a most beautiful-looking fish in the Mm -hmm. flesh, absolutely gorgeous-looking animal, have a really intricate life cycle. Who's to say they aren't any more significant or worth Mm. less regard than a tiger, for instance. Mm. They lots are of, lots of things to think about. Aren't they? They're important in their environment. Absolutely, they mm. are. Yeah, and the marine environment is a lot more important to, to animal health and in a terrestrial environment than people realise. Mm. So, oh, the whole thing's a big subject. It's a massive subject. And I think yeah. we'll uh, we'll change the subject and now. Meanwhile, your past is going. Yeah, and, and and the reason that um, the Ricky has come in. It's great today. I'm 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 joined by uh, by two blonde beauties today. You've done a few cameos on the podcast before, Rick, haven't you? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and you are very much uh, Wiggly's culinary queen. Oh, thank you. Can you put these pasties, they, they smell beautiful, can you put these into context? You talked They're about out of the Dutchie cookbook, which right. we've acquired. 
I'm trying to get the proper Cornish pasty pastry, but it's not quite right. They're made with lamb, and I've substituted Madeira for my husband's red wine, right. much to his disgust. <laughs> and I'd just like you to sample them and see what you think. Let's have a look. Let's yeah, have let's a look. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Let's okay. beautiful. I'll try and oh, negotiate myself off this couch with my dodgy two different. Thank you, Rick. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Cheers. Have you tried a bit, Ricky, yourself? Oh, yes. Yeah. Is it good? The chief taster liked them, that's my husband. <laughs> right, go, well these are the important ones, so here we go. They, well they're both the same. Yes, they're just slightly both different pastry. Mm. Well, mm. I've got to say, if I could get a pasty like that in a Cornish pasty shop, I'd be a happy mm. man. What's the difference between the pastry that I've got mm. and the pastry that Richard's got? Well that's better in yours. Yeah. And I've tried to make a little bit of a cheaper version by using like a cooking margarine. All right. So you ought to try each other's and yeah. see if there's any okay. difference. Okay. Well, so this one I'm eating has been the pastry made with margarine. Will you try that one then? Because this is the better one. What's the traditional ingredient in pasties? It's meat Trabbit. and Sweden potato and onion, really. But they've got a secret ingredient which you can't find out, which mm. I'd like to know. I suppose when pasties were made originally, they were just a way of getting rid of a load of stuff. You know, you'd get a load of well, meat and vegetables. For the and... miners to take down the mines, weren't they, in Cornwall? Really? Because the pastry on the end, they could just hold and throw away then, because their hands were always dirty. All oh, right. And they used to have the pudding in one side and the savoury in the other side. Hmm, that's interesting. I never knew that. What's the, what's the, what's the kind of the main type of mining they do in Cornwall? I know they do slate tin mining. Tin mining, I think, was the main mining down there. Right, right. They did a lot of tin mining. Right. It was, was there something sort of toxins in the in the when well, they used to go down in the mine? Arsenic was. That's another reason they would have held it by the crest and thrown it away. I would mm. imagine. Mm. Oh, interesting. Mm. Well, I Clever much stuff. prefer this one that you gave to Richard. The pastry on there is yeah beautiful. So that is the pastry made with the margarine. The oh right, yours okay. has got the better. Ah right. Mm. Well, I preferred that one. I prefer mine as well, right? Yeah. Oh dear, that's mm. interesting. Then, Poor Rich. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> do you mean I? Oh. <laughs> Can we swap, Rich? No, certainly not. Oh. <laughs> if you just that, try a little bit more on mine, you go a little bit off the all end. All that blue-eyed like. and blonde stuff, and they, <laughs> you won't swap your food. <laughs> wow. Uh, I've got to say, that's absolutely gorgeous, though. Well done. That was a fine, fine feast. I think this might be a... This is better, much better than that Tesco cake you had yeah. that sometimes. Our birthday cakes. <laughs> Can we have birthday pasties from now yeah. on? Yeah. <laughs> Roll them up, Rick. Next one. That was beautiful. Cheers, Ricky. Now... I don't think this is the final treat that you've got in store for us today, is it? Well, we were going to make nettle tea as well. Yeah. How, how have you got on with that? Well, I, <laughs> not very well. Because when I looked at my recipe, you had to dry the nettles, and I haven't dried the nettles, so... Okay. Well, at that point, then, I sort of came in on it and got some nettles, and I put them in the oven to dry them out. Because right, it right. does actually rain here quite a bit, and so, you know, they are very, very wet. So I dried them off with an ordinary tissue, put them in the oven, and I baked them now to a nice tenderness, which is what the recipe said. And so now it's, they're ready to be infused. With Excellent. boiling water. With their boiling water. Okay, well, I mean, do you want to go and do that, Yes, Ricky? I can do is that. Is that all right? I think they're only in the kitchen anyway. So yeah. um, while Ricky's doing that, I think there's another celebration, Rachel. Haven't we, uh, yeah. haven't we got into the finals of another competition? We have, we? yeah. And um, if the listeners went back to um, last week's Farmers Weekly, they'll see an article in there about Heather. And the competition was called the Alternative Enterprise Awards. And so we've made it to the finals. And it featured Heather and an article about the business and the day the judges came, really. 
Have you any idea when, when, the, uh, when the last sort of few entries will be judged? I don't know. I think they're featuring a couple of the entries each week right. in the Farmers Weekly. Okay, so, uh, so it's part of their sort of, you know, their supplement of the magazine as well. Yeah. It, it was, it's, 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 not an inter- it's quite an interesting magazine, Farmers Weekly, isn't it? It is, yeah. I like the Farmers Weekly. I like the farm, they have a section in there called Farm Life. In that bit, is, there's lots and lots of interesting day-to-day stuff that farmers do. And yeah. farmers' wives too, yeah, you yeah. know, and families in general. So yeah, I do yeah. like that part of it. The bit I don't like is all about the sale of the cattle and the sheep and the weights and the, right, right. you know the grades and all the rest yeah. of it. I find that utterly boring. But yeah. the rest of it, I really, really like. <laughs> Worth great, a read then. Definitely I, I great wonder, magazine. I wonder how many of our listeners have, have read Farmers Weekly magazine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Not many. I don't Not suppose. many, but it is interesting. <laughs> perhaps they'd be inclined to now. And the other thing I was going to mention quickly, not to take advantage of Phil in his absence, of course. But recently, I, I don't have the, uh, the contact details of the people that contacted Phil, but there were a couple of our American listeners that were quite interested in hedges because they wanted to try and join in the oh, debate, well, that's right. in our debate. Uh, and they'd asked about where they could get some suitable information so as they could get gender on, uh, on, on all things hedge-like. And I know Heather and Sandra talked about a book, or at least Heather talked about a book that Sandra was getting in here about the history of hedges and that should be into in the Wiggly stock in the next couple of weeks. But there is one book that's really, so far as those Brits are concerned, is a bit like a Bible, so far as the, the history of British countryside is concerned. But it also looks at the history of countryside right the way across the globe, and that's Oliver Rackham's book, simply called The History of the Countryside. And there's some really interesting bits and bobs in here. So far as America is concerned, Oliver talks about, he says here, and I quote, in America I've seen thousands of miles of hedge in a dozen states from Vermont to Texas. Uh, and he also talks about the, the, the fact that there are edgy, edges in the Austrian Alps, uh, in the Peruvian Andes, um, Mount Helican in Greece, all over the world really. One interesting thing that I found in this book, is well worth reading, but there was a particular extract, and I know that we've, we've talked uh, um, about this before, before, Phil's propensity to keep everything tidy, right? Now Oliver also states here, and I, I quote again, old overgrown hedges full of blossom in spring and set with hollow ivy tods and other reminders of antiquity are part of the romance of the English landscape. We remember them from our childhood and see them in the pictures of Constable and Arthur Rackham and the verses of John Clare. We see them still in places that have escaped the vandal hand of tidiness. And I, <laughs> I bet you're I really like that. that. I thought that was absolutely great. <laughs> there was all sorts of goodies in here. And I, and I have to say that um, if, you, if you read this, you really will get a, get a feeling for, for, the, for the hedgerow argument. And of course, without wanting to sound arrogant or self-righteous in any way absolutely um, anything i've said prior to this time has been right and phil's been completely wrong and there is the the evidence in this book to okay. support my argument what was the name of that book again <laughs> it's called uh, the history of the countryside and it's by oliver rackham if anybody wants any more details by all means uh, email me and uh, i can send you the isb number right okay now right. ricky's come back in with the next treat Okay, I've noticed you haven't brought yourself a cup of tea in. No, I'm having a little drink in the kitchen, thank you. <laughs> oh, great stuff. So, oh so you're just giving us our, yeah. our, our poison. Okay, okay, so here we go. So this is so all this is basically is a, a, a bunch of dried nettle leaves with some boiling water poured yes, over them. An infusion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's supposed to be very good for you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And things mm. that don't taste nice are good for you. It certainly smells interesting. Uh, well, uh, um, mm. I tell you what. 
quite as bad actually, as I was expecting. No, I was thinking it to be a lot rougher than that. But <laughs> it's actually... It tastes, it tastes just as good as some of those rancid fruit-flavoured tea bags yeah, you can buy. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I yeah. think that it's definitely on a par with those, isn't it? Mm. Well, I again. think we should try mm. this for a moment and see how our health a, improves. Worth a second yeah. sip. Mm. Right. I had, a, I had a, a lot of emails from people, but uh, a couple of our listeners, uh, Frankie and Nick Devereux, emailed me and they suggested, uh, Frankie suggested that I use, uh, drink comfrey tea. But, you know, comfrey tea is really disgusting. Oh, you can't it? even kind of lift it to your to your mouth because the smell is so bad. Oh, it, makes, it makes you gag before it even gets That's in your mouth. That's not a very pleasant smell, is it? I think the no, taste it's very is good nicer too. than the smell. No, but do you know what I think has happened to it? I dried the leaves off in the oven and I think they've picked up the smells... That are already mm. in the oven. Yeah, you and need to dry them naturally. Yeah, you need to dry them naturally, mm. and I think that it's picked up a fishy smell. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I thought it smelled fishy actually. Yeah. So we've got fishy yeah. nettle tea. Fishy nettle tea. We have. Noah will enjoy it. Don't oh, yeah. Would you like yeah. to drink the, uh, the tea, Noah? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely got a, a mm. smell of fishiness about that, it, but yeah. the taste of it. It's not is, bad though. You know what? I could right. almost finish this. Uh, I could almost finish this cup. Yep, I could go for oh, it you'll too. You'll feel much better tomorrow. If, if I thought that, this was going to do me any good, we take yeah. you drink I'd it. I drink a whole lot. Absolutely. I think but the next exercise is actually to, to get it. the nettles and dry, hang them up and dry them out, and they'd probably mm. take a few weeks, wouldn't they, to dry yeah. out properly? Yeah, you know what? I, I think we might have inadvertently stumbled across a new wiggly product. Oh, dry nettles. Well, there's plenty of them here. Well, it's not bad. Ricky, I've got to congratulate you on your pasties. Well done. And your nettle tea. Well, that's ace. Thanks, Ricky. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, as always, it's lovely to see you, Rach. Thank you, Rich. I think that's uh, that's pretty much us, isn't it? Yeah, I think you should be proud of that podcast, wouldn't you? I, well, <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> we shall see. If I get my P45 uh, yeah. in two weeks' time, then Absolutely. we'll know that, that wasn't the <laughs> well, case. Well, I'm off for the next two weeks, so I'm OK. <laughs> Do you want me to play piano a bit more, maybe? <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. So it's a good idea. Anyway, just now, it's uh, bye-bye from me, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. And bye-bye from me. And bye-bye from me. Well, I won't be here. I'll be on holiday. Oh, so you will, I'll won't you? Up yeah. in the air That's somewhere. a shame. I was going to yeah. bring my grandchildren all dressed up to see you. Were you? Yes. <laughs> I'll be out and about on my stick trip. Yes, you will. I wonder if they have Halloween in Australia. I'll let you know. Well, I was thinking about Halloween. Uh, I won't go on about it too much now, but the waste, when they hollow out their pumpkins, people often just throw the pulp away. And and it's such a shame because squash soup, pumpkin soup, is is beautiful. It's really nice. My Sarah makes a really nice spicy pumpkin soup. In fact, in uh, in my crippled condition, when I've been at home for the last week, few weeks, I've been eating pumpkin soup on a regular basis. <laughs> so we've grown these massive, great squashes, and, uh, okay. and and she's been cooking them up. So and, it, and, it's, and also it's very good for you as well. So it tastes great, it tastes beautiful, but it's really good for you. And I, but what I thought, what I found strange was I said to Ricky, who's who's at the ace cake maker mm-hmm. and uh, and she's definitely proven her worth with the uh, with the pasties and the nettle soup today as well <laughs> uh, it, is that you haven't you have never done the squash soup have you no i haven't no that's pumpkin soup no mm. uh, but do you hollow out pumpkins as well we do for the children yeah, yeah. Oh. And throw it all away yeah yeah i've done pumpkin pie right but, nice but, mm, i wasn't keen on it it's, it's very bland isn't it yeah right. so you should have had lots of cinnamon and things to it right but okay. pumpkin soup we could try well, you've got a recipe, Ricky, haven't you? So I, I, have. I think for the benefit of the listener, 
Uh, you guys might quite like this recipe and if you don't manage to jot this all down now um, then just just email us again let us know and uh, and then we can perhaps send the recipe over to you but so this works well with pumpkin any well, squash at all any of that any any yeah. squash butternut squashes pumpkins you know any any of those large swollen rich vegetables that we get this at this time of year right so the ingredients for spicy squash soup are one onion chopped into thin rings two cloves of garlic peeled and crushed a 2.5 centimetre piece of ginger peeled and crushed, one chilli deseeded and finely chopped, a kilo of squash deseeded, peeled and roughly chopped, two tablespoons of sunflower oil, a teaspoon of ground cumin, a tin of tomatoes, 900 mils of veg stock, salt and black pepper and 200 mils of coconut cream which is optional. And the method is to heat the oil in a deep pan, add the onion, garlic, ginger and chilli. Fry gently for five minutes or until softened. Add the cumin and cook for one minute. Add pumpkin, tomatoes and stock. Bring to the boil and then reduce heat. Cover and simmer for 20 minutes until pumpkin is very tender. You transfer the mixture to a blender. Blend until smooth then return to the pan. Season, stir in coconut and gently heat. So it's quite simple, really. It is dead simple. Yeah, sounds very nice. And really tasty. So well worth trying, I think. You know, yeah. I would definitely recommend that.